you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Galatians. That is New Testament. Kids, easiest way to remember where the writer of Paul is uh, writing all these letters to all these different churches. Always mixed up where Galatians was, where Ephesians was, where, uh, uh, where Philippians was, where Colossians was. Gas, electric, power, coal. That's how you remember. G-E-P-C. Gas, electric, power, coal. So we'll be in Galatians this morning. If you found your spot, if you would, please stand for the reading of Christ's word. We're in Galatians 3, I'm sorry, Galatians 2, verse 15. We'll be reading to verse 21 this morning. May you hear the word of Christ. We are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, but we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. That is why we too believed in the Messiah, Jesus, so that we might be declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness and not on the basis of works of the Jewish law. On that basis, you see, no creature will be declared righteous. Verse 17, well then, if in seeking to be declared righteous in the Messiah, we ourselves are found to be sinners. Does that make the Messiah an agent of sin? Certainly not. If I build up once more the things which I tore down, I demonstrate that I am a lawbreaker. Verse 19. Let me explain it like this. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with the Messiah. I am, however, alive, but it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I do still live in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace. Let us pray. Father, yet again, it might sound like a redundant prayer, but it is so true that we are thankful that you can gather us here this morning to now surround ourselves with your word as we surround the word itself. So speak, open our ears and our minds and our hearts and our entire lives. And may we posture ourselves right now to be receptive to your word. Now, Lord, speak because we're ready to listen. May it be so audible, so clear today when we leave this place that the Lord has spoken. And now may we after here be a people who are ready to live out your word. But before we can get there. Speak. We're ready. And so, Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if I could begin with a confession this morning, um, a couple of confessions, in fact. The first one would be that marriage is hard. There, I was waiting for it, Jody. Amen. Marriage is hard. Uh, let me go underneath that a little bit more. Relationships are difficult. Amen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you are catching on. And even, I don't want to, I, I've heard so many sermons where it's dealing with the relationship status of spouses or relationships uh, of individuals, but we never get to singleness. 
uh, when, I, when I'm thinking of singleness, I'm thinking of those who are um, single in their younger years, but also single in their older years. So whether we're dealing with widowhood or singleness, it's the same thing um, as it relates to Scripture. And the last confession I really have is that singleness is lonely. It's difficult. So no matter what relationships we're talking about, the marriages that we have or the singleness that we are a part of at this time, all relationships are hard and difficult. And so this morning, as we move now into the second week of vows, uh, for those who might not have been here last week, uh, we're moving through month by month small things that we can be responsible and faithful in. The first month we dealt with um, holy time. How can we set aside time in our daily, weekly, uh, monthly, yearly life so that we can posture ourselves in such a way that that Christ is working in us. And I thought that was a great way to start for January. Moving into the new year, what can we do to get the conditions, the environment ready for God to work right here in our lives? And so with February being, uh, you know, romantic month, so to speak, why not look at vows? And so last week we dealt with uh, Christ's vows uh, the, the fact that he promises, and we looked at vows in two senses last week, he promises, he covenants with his people, he promises never to leave his people, but he also promises to witness through his people. So we have this withness and this witness that we find in the vows of Jesus. And so I think we have to have a sound theology, a sound understanding of who this God is, who promises to be with his people so that we can then move into relationships, marriage or singleness. And so that's where I want to venture for us today. If I can remind us also that vows that we talked about last week, there, guys, there, there are many layers to vows, but there are three main streams that you see throughout the scripture. Vows, when you find any vow in scripture, it's something that is made to someone else. It's made to another it is also made in the presence of the triune God. It's made in the very presence of who he is. He is with his people. He's near to his people. And he is there with and beside and for them. And lastly, this is one that we're going to get to primarily at the end of today's sermon, is that vows are ultimately sustained and strengthened by God's grace. They are sustained and strengthened by his grace. Let me begin with a little story this morning because uh, today's sermon is, if I could give a title to it, is Vows, uh, the Cross Reveals the Veneer. The Cross Reveals the Veneer. Uh, a couple years ago, we had this, we, we still have the table, but a couple years ago, this table that we have right beside our recliner uh, was getting sort of uh, too many drinks and cups with water in them and they condense and you know those beautiful rings that they leave on your tables after so long it was getting worse and worse and we had four or five rings and I thought you know what it's time to you know sand it down um, and then come back over with a nice polyurethane to match the rest of the table so I pick it up I mean it's solid it's heavy just a little table but very sturdy I take it out to our sh the shop in my backyard hook up the sander 
uh, get the, 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 sand, uh, the, the actual paper set just right, and I get the sanding. About 10 minutes in, you know, dust is flying, dust is flying, and I get sanding a little bit more, and then I stop, take my glasses off, and I wipe it. It's not wood. It's not wood. It's veneer. It's condensed pressed wood. Wood, right? Which, you know, a lot of our furniture today is this. It's this pressed wood. It's not real authentic wood, but for some reason, uh, we had this table for 10 plus years, and I swore it was wood by the sturdiness, by the way it looked, and I knew that the way that the rings were laying on top of, the t of that table, that was wood, but it wasn't. So what do I do? I try to clean up the best I can, throw polyurethane on it, and put it back in the house to make it look like the wood it was supposed to be. So I'm going to let that story hang for the rest of the sermon, and we'll try to connect to it here in a few minutes. Once it comes to where the passage uh, that we're dealing with today, it's from Galatians 2. Um, and Galatians is a pretty powerful book. In fact, it's most likely, scholars say, the first uh, letter written by Paul. Very first letter that he writes. And we, we know this for several reasons, but one of the reasons is that there's this uh, issue that keeps coming up in Galatians and it's revolving around all of these words. You see these words peppered throughout the six chapters of Galatians. Gospel, law, works, righteousness, faithfulness, justification or justifying, flesh, spirit, and also freedom. And I think in just reading those uh, eight terms right there, that you can... If you'd never read Galatians as a whole, you would pretty much pick up on this theme. That there is something deeply wrong with uh, the, the identity that the people of Galatians are trying to figure out. They're trying to understand what it means to be a gospel people. Now that Jesus has come and fulfilled the law in its entirety, what does it mean to be a gospel people? What does it mean to be identified with this Jesus who is supposedly the Messiah, the Christ who was promised to come? What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be faithful now that this Jesus who has come? And lastly, uh, last couple of terms, what does it mean if the Spirit has been poured on His people to live according to this Spirit, but also have freedom within the Spirit? to live out the good instructions that God has given his people. And so there is a major shift in this time, in the 40s, the years, late 40s, that we're guesstimating about when it was written. Jesus has been dead for approximately 15 years. He has risen from the dead for approximately 50 years. And so they are trying to figure out what it means to follow this resurrected Christ who has defeated death and sin and now no longer be a people of works of the law. And so that's what we're going to try to grasp with this, this, this morning and try to tie it into vows here at the end. 
So the concerns, the questions that are being asked throughout Galatians, what does it mean to belong to Jesus? That is a main concern for Galatians. What does it mean to belong to him? Also, what does it mean to identify with this Jesus? If the people of Israel for the entire history, even up until this point, they were identified by the temple. They were identified by the keeping of the Sabbath. They were identified with certain food or dietary laws. If all of these things were how we were identified, the badges on our arms, then how in the world do we now live knowing that Jesus has fulfilled all of those things? And so that's the struggle that they have. In verse 16, if you look back at your scripture, verse 16 of chapter 2, you have these people who come in. Paul says, we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the Jewish law. There were people who were coming in, which we call them today as Judaizers. These are uh, who were once Jews, but they now do profess that Christ is the Messiah. But they are convinced that you still keep all of the instructions of Moses. All of those laws in the Old Testament. Because that's how they identified themselves in the past. And so you have these Judaizers going throughout all of these churches in Galatia. Saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, you identify with Jesus, but you still need to keep circumcision. You need to keep all the dietary laws. You need to still continue to uh, keep the Sabbath as strict as possible. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Step back. Whoa. If Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ who was promised to come, and he has fulfilled and completed all those things, here's his answer. We know that a person is not declared righteous by the works of the law, but through the, through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. That is why we too believed in Jesus. So that we might be declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness. And so what you have, Paul, is turning the table, so to speak, and saying, we are not identified, we are not understood as keeping all of these laws, but rather, ultimately, what we find throughout the Old Testament is that the people are identified by their faith in God, their faithful obedience in God. And in fact, we don't get there today, but if you go to chapter 3, he picks up on the story about this man named Abraham who had many sons. The promises that were given to Abraham were given to him, and there was a circumcision that sealed the promises. But Paul reminds them, what was it? What truly was it that, was, that made Abraham righteous, that declared him righteous? It was the fact that he believed Yahweh. He believed Yahweh. He believed God in the promises that he had given him. It wasn't the circumcision, because Paul will say again and again in Galatians 3, the promise came first, then the seal. It wasn't you keep the circumcision, then you receive the promises. No, 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 no. Promises first. The covenant was promised. It was him believing those promises that made him righteous, that was declared to this Abraham. That is the identity of God's people, is when they receive 
the faithfulness of God and live into that faithfulness. And so then he gets into get, gets the Galatians to understand that it is truly uh, through the faithfulness of Jesus that we are declared righteous. Notice what Paul writes, though, on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness in, chapter, in verse 16. Not on the basis of his works. When you're on the basis of something, that's the very foundation. That is on the thing that we're talking about. Think of a home. The foundation has to be laid before the home is built. This is the language that Paul is trying to get us to understand. It is on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness. And we believe those promises. We trust those promises. We allegiance ourselves to those promises. Then we're made righteous by God himself. Now let me get... There's typically a misunderstanding. Um, works of the law here as it relates to what Paul's discussing. I want to just try to clarify a couple of things as it relates to works of the law in Christ. When we get to these verses... So, a lot of times I will hear, well, works of the law it comes up to these verses, like verses like fighting so-and-so versus someone else. The first one is Old Testament versus New Testament. That's not what Paul's after. He's not saying that the Old Testament's no longer active and authoritative in any sense, but it is fulfilled in this Jesus. So it's not a fighting between Old and New Testament but a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's also not a rituals versus spiritual faith. The people have always, as Paul reminds in Galatians 3, have always been a people of faith. That is the very foundation and on the basis that we recognize and identify ourselves as a people of God. The rituals, the habits, the ceremonies just help remind us of who we are, is what Paul was saying. It's not a Moses versus Jesus. No, no, no. Moses was the one who was expected first, and then Jesus was the better Moses, the true teacher, the true lawgiver. It's not a versus here. And also, it's not works versus faith. As he'll say in plenty of other places besides Galatians, really in Romans as well. It is that faith, as we trust Christ, he continues to work in us to produce good works. We would never dare say, or hopefully we wouldn't, that I can do enough good things to earn love from God. That is anti-gospel, church. That you think for some second that you can do enough for Jesus to love you more. That's the opposite of the gospel. Because the gospel is God first loved and we love in return. His love is the basis. His faithfulness is the basis. His righteousness is the basis. And our obedience is just an act of seeing the beauty of that love. We respond to what he has done. And we don't do it out of, look at me and all the things that I can do for you to love me. It's because you have loved me that I've returned this love. Now, once it comes to understanding overall what Paul is after in these verses, 
Let me see if I can give it a little snippet. To be made righteous, to be justified, is to accept, to live into the declaration that Jesus' righteousness, his faithfulness, comes through the cross and his resurrection. That is sufficient, is what Paul is reminding us. That's enough for us to be identified as God's people. And as I said a second ago, he'll go to Abraham and remind the Galatians that Abraham's identity as a follower of God was because he trusted the promises that were given to him. Not because he kept the law. That was just an addition that he was faithful in that obedience. But the promises are what identify God's people. And if we can move forward to verses 19 through 21, this is where I really uh, want to camp out here on this morning, is that if you read slowly, we jump over these verses, but if you read slowly, life, live, alive, there's just two verses, and those words come up six times. Life, live, alive. Let me reread them for you. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with the Messiah. I am, however, alive. But it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me and the life I still do live in the flesh. I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think Paul's trying to stress something, church. It is through Christ that we find our life. And it is in Christ that we live out his faithfulness. And it is through him that we are made alive. This reminded me, when I read through these verses this week, it reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4.10, where Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this, We always carry the deadness of Jesus about in our body so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our bodies. So that no matter where we are, we are carrying his death so that his life might be lived through us. I hope we're posturing, we're putting ourselves in a position each and every week where we allow the life, the aliveness of Jesus to work in us. So that he can trim the dead parts of us. So he can move out those things that get in the way. And he can breathe his life into us. So that we can be restored back to the Father. So that we can understand what it means to worship and work in light of the presence of God himself. We have to step back every once in a while. And allow ourselves to let Jesus work. It's essential. That's why we started with holy time in January. Just putting aside time for him to work in us. To restore our hearts. To bend and reorient our minds and our, our relationships in such a way that he is working in them. And you see there in verse 20. I live within the faithfulness of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live within a lot of things, church. We live within a home. We live within a city. We live within a state. We live within an income. We live within certain teachings. 
We live within many things. That preposition right there, within, is about being inside the boundaries of. And it is Paul who is reminding the Galatians and also us that we are to live within the faithfulness of the Son of God. Soon as we start moving outside the boundaries of his faithfulness, makes sense. We're living unfaithfully. Soon as we think of God as the one who owns and reigns over all things, whether it's our homes or our finances or today the vows that we make, when we live within the faithfulness of the Son of God, I promise you, you will see him working in those vows. He will begin restoring and redeeming so many parts of our lives when we are within his faithfulness and we live within the fruitfulness of it. If I could give you a little bit of a metaphor as to what Paul is talking about. Uh, many of you probably, if you have buttercups planted in your yards or if you've driven uh, down any uh, rural part of this area or even through the streets of Trenton, you'll notice that buttercups started to make their way up over the weekend or at least this late last week. Do you realize that? I mean, all the conditions were right. We had really warm temperatures. The ground was saturated. I mean, it's saturated for a year now. The Sun has been out. The nutrients are just so fertile and rich right now in the soil. It was inevitable once the temperatures started to get warm, yeah, the buttercups were starting to rise because all the conditions for growth in life were there. Unfortunately, they might meet their peril here in a week or so, and hopefully they'll come back. But all the conditions were right. What I think... Paul is trying to stress to us is this, that the righteousness of the Messiah Christ, the faithfulness of this Jesus, the cross that this Jesus took were all the perfect conditions for life and growth in his church. That's profound. Because as he says again and again, it is his faithfulness, his righteousness that gives growth to us. It is all of those things that were perfect and fertile to get us in a position where we receive his righteousness and his faithfulness. Because he's the one who says, I have been crucified with Christ. I live within the faithfulness of this son of God. One scholar says it like this, as it relates to that, I have been crucified with Christ. What was true for Paul is true for all believers. This isn't just a testimony of Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ and you're not. He is reminding the church at Galatia and as well us that we have been crucified with this Jesus. So the cross itself is not only a way and a means by which we are being made righteous with Jesus, but it is also the cross is a way of life. In which we live. This is what we would call sort of this crucified living. So as we move into sort of these last moments of the sermon this morning. I wonder what it looks like for our marriages and our singleness to have crucified living. 
What does it mean to wake up every single day and ask the question, how can I die to myself for my wife? How can I die to myself for others in the relationships that I have? How can I take seriously the calls of Jesus, take up your cross and follow me? That's a call to death, church, so that his life might work in us. Or, as Paul reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said, I take up my cross daily. We should follow that, where we are crucifying ourselves so that his life might be made abundant. And also in 2 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy says this about faithfulness. If we are faithless, Christ remains faithful. And I think that's a good testimony and a reminder for all of us is that as it relates to vows and your marriages and your singleness, you're going to be faithless in some form or fashion. Those vows are meant to be a vision that you make, a vision that you see yourself and try to strive towards, but it is only because they're sustained and strengthened by grace. Only. It's not a work that you can do. It is a work in you that's done to be righteous in that marriage, to be faithful in that marriage. I'll have to leave you with this quote before I give you some questions to ponder this week. Paul David Tripp, if you don't know that name, you definitely should. Paul David Tripp is one of the most, um, how can I say this? He's one of the most, not eloquent writers, but it's not that. He can speak the truth in such a graceful way. And he writes as a pastor, but also somebody who tries to counsel as much as possible. So he loves to write to marriages. He loves to write to families. He loves to write to parents. So I want you to hear these words that Paul David Tripp has for us this morning. God's grace is intended to explode the kingdom of self. There you go. It is intended to explode, to destroy the kingdom that you try to build to yourself. His grace is designed to expose and free you from your bondage to you. His will is to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will finally begin to place your identity, your meaning, your purpose, and your inner sense of well-being in Him. In other words, God wants to put you in a position where you're really uncomfortable with worshiping yourself. And if you don't think that marriages don't do this, you're naive and blind. To put it softly, marriages do this. Singleness does this. It pushes us to, and it exposes the, the, the wells and the ways that we worship ourselves. And we realize that we've been building a kingdom to ourselves our entire life. And it is through his grace in marriage and singleness that he exposes those things. And he desires to put us in a position where he then continues his work to not make us more like ourselves, to make us more like Jesus. Where we're giving ourselves, we're loving others beyond us. So here's some questions. And I promise this is it. Questions towards marriages. How can we give ourselves a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness? Spouses, how can we do that? 
How can we make growth and change a part of our daily agenda? How can we work together to build a sturdy bond of trust? How can we commit to building a relationship of love? How can we deal with our differences with appreciation and grace? Ah, that's one that's tough for me. Deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. How can we protect our marriages? Have you ever thought about that? Truly protecting our marriages. We don't think of the boundaries that we need to set in order to protect, in a good sense, the flourishing of our marriages. And singles, I'm going to say it. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that singleness is a gift. It is. And in fact, he goes on to say that he wishes everybody was single. Did you ever notice that? He wishes that everybody is single, but he realizes that's just an ideal and it's more of an opinion of his own. But what he's after is saying this, that in your singleness, you're able to serve in ways that married couples cannot. So that is why it's a gift. And any time that you find a gift coming out of Paul's mouth, he's always referring to it as something that builds others up. So how can you see your singleness as a gift whereby you build others up? Sometimes marriage in America can become an idol. You worship it. If you don't believe me, watch Bridezilla. You can watch any of those shows and quickly realize that marriage easily becomes an idol where there's perfect romance, where there's no issues, and it is just the most holy and perfect thing ever. That's naive of us to create such an idol. Marriages are not meant to be idols. So how can we steward, singles, how can we steward this season or calling? And I think that's a reminder that we have from Scripture that singleness sometimes is a season. Sometimes singleness is a calling that people are called to. That is their vocation. They're not called to marry. Lastly, or sorry, last two questions. Are you in regular fellowship with other Christians? Because singles, we need you. We need you a lot. The ministry and the servanthood that you have is incredible, and we cannot do it without you. Are you in regular fellowship with other Christians? And also, would it be okay if you never got married? That's a question that singles need to ask. Is it okay if you never got married? Because in that sense, it might be that your singleness is a calling, not a season, in which you are to love and enjoy that your Christ is the one you were bonded to. That's the one who you made your vows to. And so whether you're in marriages or in singles, uh, singlehood, the thread is the same. Christ is meant to be the center of who you are, no matter. So let me return to my side table story. My work in sanding that table, it revealed that it was veneer. That it revealed that it was just a surface, that it was an illusion, that it was the real thing. It revealed that it was not the real, authentic wood that it was meant to be, but it was just an imposter. I hope 
this morning what you've captured is that the cross reveals the veneers of our vows. There's enough fees in that, yes. The cross reveals the veneers of our vows. That indeed God's grace destroys our kingdom of self. That marriage and singleness, it will destroy that kingdom of self that we build. The cross will reveal if we're dying daily. And the cross, of course, is there in the midst of our failings and our faithfulness. Or sorry, faithlessness. Because in that faithlessness, in those times where we have failed, as I said earlier, grace is always there to strengthen and sustain us. To lead us back to Him to restore us to his own righteousness and his own faithfulness in which we are supposed to live within. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It was hard. Uh, it was hard to prepare for. It was hard to preach about. And as you know, Christ, we could go an entire year looking at vows themselves. But in reality, this is what we have for today. This is the word that we have for us this morning. And so, Lord, may you continue to work in our lives and to keep that verse in front of us this week that it is in your, within your faithfulness that we live and move and have our being. And so the vows that we have made, whether it's in marriage or singleness, may you work in the midst of them so that we can serve others, that we can promote that it is your kingdom and not the kingdom of our own selves that we're building. Your kingdom. And so as we prepare our hearts for these things, move in our lives to shape our marriages and to, to make them into the shape of your cross. We plead for those things this morning, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.